0: All right, kind of an exciting summer, so we've made it through an earthquake together. (laughs) We made it through a hurricane, Uh, strangely (laughs) apocalyptic-sounding events. We've uh, also made our way through 1 Corinthians. If you're joining us for the first time today, we've done a topical study looking at various issues, continually asking the question, how does God want us to grow in grace how can we, as a community of believers, grow in grace? And this week, we're coming to the the, the, the letter's conclusion. We're coming to the, the climax in a lot of senses where Paul gloriously talks about the resurrection. And as we do that, I would invite you to either have uh, the bulletin out where you can look at, at the portion that's been printed. You may want to have an actual Bible out. There's some in front of you because I will refer to other things that happen in, in chapter 15 other verses that weren't printed. If you don't have a Bible, you can take one of these that's on the seats in front of you. That's what they're there for. Um, So feel free to pick one up or look around you. There's a few around, and I think that will help you. So as we come to the conclusion of the letter, the question that I keep asking is not only how can we grow in grace, but what is standing in our way? So at the end of thinking of all those issues that we've sort of thought our way through and worked our way through, what is it that is preventing growth in your life? What's preventing growth in this community? What is it that's preventing growth uh, and renewal in our city? And I think that many of you may still be looking down and in. Okay, so that's going to be my answer to this problem here. I think you're looking down and in, and let me give you an illustration of what I mean. One of my favorite types of music is called shoegazer rock. Apparently, I'm the only one. Uh, This is music that involves lots and lots of distortion. It involves lots and lots of effects and effects pedals. It involves usually, like, dreamy female vocals, so you kind of get pummeled with a wall of noise. It's generally awesome. And um, the reason they call it shoegazing rock or shoegazer rock, there was actually a movement of this in the early 90s in London. And um, reviewers started to call it this because, let me list the reasons. I, I, I actually pulled this from an Internet article. Because the musicians in these bands stood relatively still during live performances in a detached, introspective, non-confrontational state, hence the idea that they were gazing at their shoes. Okay? And they were looking at the effects pedals, too. So they kind of were just like this. It's really cool. It was a reaction to um, bands that were glitzy and bands that were glamorous and kind of throw lots of lights and effects and all that kind of thing. And um, I think... I think it's my hunch that you may be tempted to do the same thing in your spiritual life, in your Christian life, in your life in general. And um, I think at, at Liberty, we're the kind of church that wants to say, hey, we don't want the glitz, we don't want the glamour, you know, um, churches have gotten too big, we'll look at like mega churches and think, what's going on there? And we look at like political involvement with churches and we say, hey, what's up with those candidates and those guys? And so we're in the business of kind of paring things down, I think. If I'm wrong, you guys can come talk to me about that later. But so we want to um, kind of get away from that get rid of the glitz and the manipulation and the superficiality and all of that is good i am for that but the problem is even after you remove some of those things you could still end up just as self absorbed as you were before that's actually what happened this this shoegazing movement got known as like the most self obsessed group ever they're literally kind of staring in at themselves. And if you're not doing anything as a Christian, if you are not doing anything in your spiritual life, if you're just gazing at your shoes, there's a sense in which you miss the boat entirely. There's a sense in which you've missed Christianity and the Christian message. See, you have maybe failed to see the way that you're, you're, the, the small story of your life fits into a larger story. And if you're not a Christian, I want you to be enticed by that message. You have a small story. It's your life and what's happened to you up to this point. But God is saying it fits into a larger story, a bigger picture, a public picture of what he's doing in the world. And for Paul, the key to seeing how your small story fits into that larger story is the resurrection. It's the cross and the resurrection, but in a particular way, it's the resurrection because the resurrection causes you to look up and to look out rather than looking down and looking in at yourself. It's the thing that raises our heads up so that we can look out and because Christ indeed has been raised and because you who believe in him will be raised, he invites you to find meaning and purpose in life to look up. And to look out. Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Let's take a look at the text. Look at verses 1 and 2. And we're going to see that larger things are happening. Okay? Paul, for Paul, faith or belief involves having, um, notice three things. Received the preached gospel. Standing firm in the preached gospel. And being saved by this same gospel. Having received, standing firm, being saved, moving forward. And Paul doesn't want anybody to be confused, so he defines the gospel in the next three verses. Take a look. He sa- and he says, this is the most important thing. This is of first importance. This is primarily important. He says, uh, and I'll read the whole, the whole verse there, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. He was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. So we could divide the the entire Christian message into two things, cross and resurrection, okay? He says he died and he was buried, that's all grouped together over here, and then he says he was raised and he appeared, crucifixion, resurrection, that's the sum total of the Christian message, that's the gospel. And what I want you to see about 1 Corinthians is that Paul started 1 Corinthians with the cross, Remember that glorious chapter in 1 and 2. And now he ends with the resurrection in chapter 15. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, life is about more than you. It's gloriously about more than you. He's saying, look up. Look up. Larger things are going on. Christianity is about more than how you feel and your personal experiences. This is the story of Jesus. This is the story of one man. Who broke into history and changed everything, transformed the way that everyone has to think about life, think about their own personal life, and think about the world that we live in. And he says, so notice, look, you're you're tempted to gaze down at yourself. What are my problems? How can I fix those problems? And Paul says immediately, look up. To Jesus, And he tells this story. But then he says, this story is according to the scriptures. Which means it's a bigger story than even just an event that happened a thousand years ago. He says, hey, there's a story of Jesus, a man who came and died and raised again. But also, that is the story, that is the the conclusion of a larger story of what God was doing in the nation of Israel in restoring broken and fallen and corrupt humanity to himself. Suddenly the story got bigger. Do you see how big it is? It's not you, it's Jesus. It's not just Jesus, it's Israel. And when you get to Israel, you look up and you say, it's the story of what's happening in the entire world. What's happening in the entire world and the entire cosmos, the king of creation is making things right. He is setting things right. Right, And it does. Don't mistake me here. It does involve you. That's the exciting thing. It involves people. That's why Paul says he appeared to Cephas. He appeared to James. He appeared to these other apostles, and their specific names matter. And he appeared lastly to Paul himself by grace, who was ripped up like as someone born before he was ready to be born. And he appears... To you, But what happens is by grace, you are caught up into a larger story. You're caught up into the larger story of what God is doing in this world. And here's what I want you to see. Not only that there is a larger story, but also how the resurrection pulls you out. How it causes your gaze to go up. First of all, you look up by looking back. So you're looking back and you see, Hey, this is a historical story. It's not just a story. It's not just a myth. It's not just a legend that somebody's made up, but it's historical. So you're looking back and you see the cross and you say that was a definitive event that happened at a moment in time in history. But here's what happens when you get to the resurrection. This is what Paul's on to. He says, okay, you see the resurrection back there, cross resurrection. But as soon as you see the resurrection, you have to look forward. It's kind of like going to a baseball game. Like say you're sitting uh, watching the Phillies and you're like in the nosebleed seats, the only seats that you can afford. The one time I ever got to go see the Phillies it was like way up here. I had a better view of the rest of Philadelphia than the game. And it is, it's, it's a nice view there. And you're watching the batter. You know what I mean? Your eyes are on the batter. You're looking back and down at the batter. But you're waiting for the moment when the batter hits the ball. And then suddenly everybody's eyes jump right from the ball to where it's going. You want to see where is it going? Where is it headed? How is this thing going to end? What's the final bit that's going to happen in this story? And Paul says, when you see the historical resurrection of Jesus, that's what you have to do. There's a couple reasons why. That event is an end times event that happened early. It should have been, people, you know, dead people should not be raised until the end of time, but Jesus was. So when you see him, what you see, suddenly your eyes have to go, this is something that should cause me to look forward. This is something that should cause me to look forward. You get like, it's like reading the last page in the middle of the story. You're reading the story and then you jump to the last page and you take a look at it. Or it's like getting a snapshot, a preview of what's going to happen at the end of the movie before it's over. And the second reason is Paul never talks about that resurrection of Jesus without talking about the people that Jesus is taking with him without talking about the resurrection of believers. Go read all of Paul's epistles. You'll never see him talk about the resurrection without immediately jumping to what's happening, what's going to happen with you. This event that G, of Jesus raising guarantees the resurrection of those who are found in him. It guarantees the resurrection, and it causes you... See, see what we're doing? We're looking back. We're looking forward. We're looking up. We're looking everywhere but at ourselves, and our own problems, and our own crummy situation, and we're finding purpose in him. Okay, we can already start to apply this. Many of the Corinthians, look at verse 12. They were actually denying the resurrection. Some of them were denying the resurrection, and that had caused a host of problems. They had become confused. They had become arrogant. They had become um, competitive, immoral. We've talked about a lot of those problems already. And so it's appropriate for you right now to ask yourself the question, what do I believe about the resurrection? Another way to put it would be, where do I stand in relation to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What do you believe about that bodily resurrection of Jesus and the future bodily resurrection of you as a believer? Some of you, I think you can fall in one, one, three or four categories, okay? Some of you may deny the resurrection. You may be here today and think, I don't believe that. There's not a historical resurrection. There's not going to be a resurrection for, for, for believers. But I would ask you to consider, where are you finding your hope? Are you finding your hope in this world, in this, this physical body, in a body that will end one day and turn into dust, and there will be nothing else there, there will be nothing more? Are you hoping in human progress? How have we been doing on that front as a human race? Are you hoping in making a name for yourself, in a great name? Uh, lately, my kids on, on Wii have been playing, what's it called, Just Dance? Anybody played that? And yes, I dance, I do. I know it's, it's impossible to believe. <laughs> And so if you don't know, this is a game where you, it's like Guitar Hero, but you're dancing along with the people on the screen who are dancing. And one of the songs is like the old theme song song to that show, maybe in the 80s, called Fame. Do you guys remember that? Anybody old enough to remember that? I remember it. I've dated myself a little bit. Um, and one of the lyrics is, yeah, it, I, I'd never known the lyrics until I saw them actually printed on the screen while dancing. And it says, Fame, I want to live forever. And the idea is that by becoming great, publishing this song, becoming a star, doing this dance or whatever, I can make a name that's so great that everybody's going to remember who I am. And she, she literally says, I'm going to fly to heaven. That's what I want to do. What a human, you know, secular way of thinking. And here's the deal. If you think that, or if you want that, what's interesting is most of us are not going to be great. Most of us are not going to make a name for ourselves. Most of you probably don't know your great grandparents' first names. Right? And your great grandkids aren't going to know your name. That's how fleeting. That's how futile. That's how much of a breath we are as humans. But there's a hope in historical resurrection and getting this body back. There is a hope. Okay, secondly, some of you may like uh, the Corinthians, you may not deny the resurrection, but you may have a wrong idea about what happens after death, in a resurrection. So what do you comfort yourself with when you think of life after death? What comes to mind? Have you ever heard people use a lot of trite phrases in the middle of a tragedy, a tragic death, who say things like, um, she's in a better place, he is smiling down on us now from heaven, or they may say, her life was bad anyway, it was probably good for her to go. Or God wanted that person to be with them. And I would to be really sensitive pastorally about how you engage with people and deal with them um, during tragedy and during death. Here is the problem with trite platitudes. The problem is if you ever, ever make death just something that we pass through and not an enemy to be defeated. Okay. Death is not normal. Death is not ordinary. Death is not the way things were meant to be. Death is not just natural. Paul says in in, in Corinthians 15, go back and read the rest of it later. It is an enemy to be conquered. It is a disturbance. It is a destructive force. And he says that Jesus overcomes it by crushing death. And the way that he does that is by giving you a resurrected body back. You will not be airy spirits forever there's nothing good about that what's good is rejoicing in a new creation rejoicing in a perfected place in a perfect savior and in a body that you get back that is glorious paul says imperishable he says incorruptible he says a powerful body Christ himself will utterly destroy death, and he's going to bring you out of it on the other end with a new body to rejoice in him forever. That's your hope. That's your hope. I think there's a third problem. You may not deny the resurrection. You may even have a right notion of it. But I think sometimes we don't even think about it at all. Hence, preaching. Reminder. Here's a reminder. Hence, reading your Bible. Hence, encouraging one another daily. We don't often let it shape you. We go around talking about a cross-shaped life. And I think even if you're not a Christian, you can get a sense of what that means. Following Jesus, imitating Jesus, seeing his death and suffering with him. But what about an empty tomb-shaped life? What about a resurrected life? A resurrection life. Listen. You may be plagued today with guilt. You may have come in here with fears. You may have come in here with despair. And yes, don't don't make any mistake. Jesus died for those fears and guilts and failures on the cross. But even more, there will be a time when they are no more. There will be a time when they can't even reach up and try to bother you or try to hinder your progress or try to stop the growth that's taking place. Can you imagine that? And if you can't, Paul is saying you have a failure of imagination. You have a failure of imagination because one of the things that destroys the power of sin is the victory of Jesus upon the cross, but also the hope and the forward-looking thought that these things won't be here. So even if you're swallowed in it, you're down in it, you're, you're frustrated, you're upset, you don't know how to get your way out of it, he's saying there is a time when those things will be no more. There is a time when those things will be no more. And see, here's where we get into trouble. Because we neglect the resurrection, because we, ne- we neglect Scripture's larger story. And so what we have to fall back on, why read your Bible? That's the question. What we ha- if you don't, what you have to fall back on is yourself. I was, I was made this way. I will never change. You may say, it's my parents' fault. You may blame other people. You may think that you're a victim, or you may just say, this isn't a really big problem. Things are okay. Everything's going to be fine. But scripture authoritatively and beautifully just lays bare your nakedness. It lays bare your self-assessment. It it laughs at our sophisticated analysis and our over-explanation. And I'm like the worst at over-explaining and the worst at analysis. So I've been convicted even recently. The pastor's job is to explain Um, But the pastor's job is also to open up space for you to um, understand the mystery of things that can't be explained. Sometimes we think we have these things um, totally in a box. But this is what Scripture does. It haunts you with the impossible hope of a resurrection. Are you haunted by that thought, by the thought of sins no more? And a renewed life, a renewed resurrection body. Here's what Paul says. Here's his indictment, if you will. And we're looking specifically at verses 12 through uh, 19 now. Paul says, if you neglect the resurrection... You do not take hope in the future resurrection of the body. So if you neglect the resurrection, you are essentially, um, on some level, you may be denying that Christ has been raised. And if you deny that Christ has been raised, he says in verse 16, you've basically denied half the gospel. You have half a gospel and a half gospel. And he uses strong language. This is not my language. This is Paul's language. He says, your faith is futile. You're, You're still in your sins. You are most pitiable. Most to be pitied. Um, Let me give you an illustration of this. Most of you know that I love Flannery O'Connor, and our book club is doing Flannery O'Connor, and and it's great. Just this week, we read uh, A Good Man is Hard to Find, so everybody go home and read it again, and we had a great discussion about it. It's pretty interesting on Wednesday night. And in that story, Flannery O'Connor explains and explores this futility, the futile hope of what life looks like without a resurrection, okay? Okay. And here's what she does. She does it masterfully, masterfully. So she presents us with an old Southern lady, as she always does. I'm getting so excited. Slow down. <laughs> an old Southern lady who is uh, as sweet and pleasant as can be and as manipulative, as controlling, as awful as a woman you'll ever find. So she has her hat on perfectly. She carries a little cat around with her, but she's trying to control every person around her, her own life, her son's life, her grandchildren's lives. And what O'Connor does is she takes the sweet Southern woman and she puts her at the end of the story face-to-face with a mass murderer, the misfit. So you have old Southern lady versus the misfit, and the misfit is a basically escaped convict, guilty of murder, brutal, hardcore criminal, and he's standing there with a gun in his hand and he's got the gun pointed to her face and here's what's awesome is that he gets the gospel better than she does it's amazing it's amazing and here's what he says because what happens is she's trying to to guilt and manipulate and control her way out of the problem of being shot whereas most of us like on our dying bed would confess all the sins that we had done like dear lord please forgive me for that piece of god in my soul in second grade you know those are the thoughts That we should be thinking, but she wants to get him to confess. And so she said, don't kill me, please. She's trying to manipulate him every way she can. And what she ends up with after, nothing else works, I think you need to pray. I think you need Jesus. And then what he says is this, you know, lady, Jesus was the only one that ever raised the dead. He gets it. He says, and he shouldn't have done it. He thrown everything off balance. I've been thinking about that all week. What a wonderful description of the Christian life. Jesus took the entire cosmic order and went, and just threw it all off balance. Okay? Then he says this, if he did what he said, then it's nothing for you to do, but throw away everything and follow him. Amen. And if he didn't, then it's nothing for you to do, but enjoy the few minutes you got left the best way you can. By killing somebody or burning down his or her house. Or doing some other meanness to him. And see, the grandmother's mistake is thinking otherwise. Her mistake is thinking she can control her life. She can save herself. She can pull herself up by her bootstraps with her morals and her manipulation that things aren't really that bad. That's what she's telling herself. There's no need for grace. There's no need for faith. There's no need for Jesus. There's no need for a dynamic inbreaking. There's no need for a resurrection in her worldview. And one of the reasons I love Flannery O'Connor is the same reason I love the Apostle Paul. I think she should probably be sainted. <laughs> here's why. They both understand how bad the situation really is. Listen, guys, we talk about brokenness. We throw that word around like this person's broken, that situation's broken. But there are some situations in the human life and, and in this world that, that are beyond broken, that are, are mangled. You, could, you have to use words like wreckage to describe them. And you um, may lie awake at night, how, unsure of how to escape some lust or some temptation or some addiction. And there may have been an untimely death or a marriage that was broken apart and rent asunder or some abuse that haunts you every waking second of the day. Or you may be filled with emptiness and with isolation that is unfathomable. And all you could do is say, Jesus, make it right. Jesus, make it right. Jesus, make it right. And that's what God's doing in the resurrection. He is setting things right. He's setting all of history into order. He's saying, get the big picture right. There was a a creation and a creator king, and then there was a fall. These humans thought they could be kings themselves, and they were totally crushed and totally destroyed. And what God has done is he's gone through a process of redeeming them back, and it ends with a resurrection First, the resurrection of Jesus, then the resurrection of all those who have been restored and all those who have been found in him. And it's also a setting in order of all of the cosmic order. What it does is it places God where he belongs as king at top and Jesus reigning over the universe on his behalf. And get this, this is the glorious part. It doesn't mean that you are left in your brokenness. It doesn't mean that you're the riffraff down there. Read that Bible, and what you'll see is that Jesus invites believers up on that level to reign with him forever. And who's under him, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Every authority, every power, every spiritual authority and every spiritual power is under his feet. And you know what he's stepping on last? Death. He is stepping on and breaking death's neck and every sin that goes, goes along with death and corresponds to it. And if you believe in him, you are right there with him, watching him break death's neck. It is no wonder that at the end of these verses, Paul says, from, I guess it's from Isaiah, O oh death, where is your victory? Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your sting? And so the question that remains is this. This is what I was convicted of this week as I was meditating on these passages. In light of that, are you willing, one application question here, are you willing to change your prayer from, Lord, make this right, to, Lord, use me to make these things right? Use looking up and and out. Look up. Look out. Stop looking at yourself. I mean, throw yourself face first before the Lord of creation and ask him, use me to start setting things in order. Paul is concerned with our beliefs, but he's also concerned with our actions and with our behaviors. If you you read through and scan through the verses, he says, um, yeah, after this grace picked me up, you know what that grace worked in me? Work harder than any other disciple produced. It's amazing. And later on he says, I die every day. And then later on he says, um, the verse that we included in the reading, therefore, my beloved brothers be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. So ask yourself, has my neglect of the resurrection made my labors vain? Look up. Look up at the resurrection. Have you quit the Christian life or quit church or quit life lately? Are you a shoegazer? Pulling back, disengaged, watching things happen. As soon as you start looking down and in, that's when the complaining starts. That's when you become a spectator rather than a participant in God's story. Look up at the cross, look up at the resurrection with imaginative hopefulness. There is waiting in the Christian life. It's all about waiting. We're in a waiting period, kind of waiting for the the lead pastor to get here. For those of you who are new, um, I'm one of the interim pastors along with Steve Smallman, and so everyone's waiting. But two things are important while you wait. One, what are you waiting for? That's what the whole sermon has been about. Resurrection. We don't belong here. We're pilgrims. We're sojourners. We don't belong in this building. This building's helpful for reminding us that we're exiles and we're strangers waiting to get new bodies, waiting to get bodies back. But secondly, what do you do while you wait? What are you going to do while you wait? Don't forget while we worship. Don't forget why we have home meetings. Don't forget why we gather together to encourage one another. Don't forget why we give and why we serve. Don't miss out on your opportunity to love and shape and heal and help and restore. And that may mean renewing your commitment. Renewing your commitment to Christ. Renewing your commitment to the community and to one another. And, um, you know, uh, over the course of the next... A month or so, we're going to talk a lot about home meetings, and we're going to talk a lot about um, things that happen in the fall as we get geared back up and together, and we're going to talk about ministry opportunities and in-covenant retreats and coming together um, and opportunities to serve. Look for tangible, specific opportunities. Walk through some doors, and let's walk through... um, some of those doors together. I, I mean, it, I guess what we need is a resurrection powered intentionality. <laughs> I just thought I just got a vision. Like if I was that kind of preacher, I would have like a big sign up or, you know, have it flashing <laughs> up there. Resurrection powered intentionality. You see like the worship service doesn't just happen. It involves participation. It involves service. It involves help and others um, gathering together and working to see what it is that Jesus is doing among us and authentic community is not a coincidence. You know, I think I, I, we, we complain a lot, you know, about this home meeting isn't meeting my needs or these people aren't and things like that. And we spend a lot of time trying to decide which group I'm going to go to and all of that kind of stuff. But the, 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 the thing is not which you go to. It's throwing yourself in with prayerful, hopeful, expectant anticipation in what Jesus is doing because he has risen and because he's working here among you. And people aren't just going to happen to hear about Jesus. Sometimes I think we think that grace falls down upon us and there's all these miracles and miracles and miracles. But what Paul's saying here is that the resurrection itself empowers you to plan and to prepare and to commit and to throw yourself in, to throw yourself in with what he's doing um, here in the world and in this community and in this city. And it's a glorious, um, a glorious thing that he's doing. So, Let's pray um, that in the Lord, because of what he's done in the resurrection, our labors won't be in vain. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of a resurrected life. We thank you for things that are beyond our ability to imagine. I thank you that you choose to speak to us and show us who you are and what you have done. Would you send us out? Renew our hearts, renew our commitments, correct our errors, throw us down before you in true and genuine worship and humility and repentance, and help us, help us cling to you while running this race that you have promised, that you have promised will not be in vain. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.